Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Struzinski. Thanks so much for joining us on episode number 88 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is Amanda Botfeld, author of A Girl's Guide to Poker, poker power instructor and author of numerous articles for such prestigious outlets as the Huffington Post and the Wall Street Journal, as well as poker media outlets, including Card Player, Lifestyle, 888 Poker Magazine, and right here at Cards Chat. She's also got great poker playing chops, as last year she and her father came in at third place in the WSOP Tag Team Tournament. On today's show, we'll get to know her a little better. Amanda, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you for that warm welcome. <laughs> well earned. You've, got, you've certainly done a lot uh, in your career, and we're, we're definitely going to go through all of that. But, you know, folks who watch the show or who listen to the show never necessarily know when are we recording this. And I have to point out, you're in Pacific time right now, and you're recording at midnight. So I guess you keep poker player hours to a degree. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. Poker hours. Yeah, but I guess you're more of a of a night owl naturally, or this sort of happened over time. Ever since I was eight years old. Oh wow, goodness! <laughs> oh, I remember staying up till eleven a.m. in like four, eleven p.m. in like fourth grade, reading books. Yeah, right. Oh, okay. So books, writing—that's definitely sort of been your cup of tea for a while. I mean, well, we usually we start off, uh, you know, each interview, each conversation, getting into you know the person's poker origin story. You know, I know that your dad taught you how to play poker when you were a teenager, but I'm just wondering, how did that come about? You sort of saw him playing, and he's like, Amanda, come over here, let me show you this poker thing. How did that start? So, learned it even younger. As a kid, I remember when I was in second grade, oh my, my dad God. got me this battery-operated poker game. Like, it was almost like a like those slot machine games, like video poker, right? Sure, yeah, I have the same Video one. poker game from, like... Our local drugstore is called Rite Aid. Uh And I played it until the batteries died. (laughs) So (laughs) like right at the beginning, I was hooked. But, you know, like many people, you know, I would just play kind of on New Year's with my dad and my family. And I thought I knew how to play. And then I went to the casino and got my backside handed to me. And the story of that is I was living in Washington, D.C. I was working as a writer there. And they opened up the brand new MGM National Harbor. Oh, sure. And... My roommate at the time uh, dragged me there and he's like, cause everyone was going there. Like there was like lines out the door, whether you gambled or not. And right. I was like, Oh yeah, I know how to play poker. And I sit down and I'm so bad that this one guy turns to me and he says, you played that hand terribly. And I said, how so? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, for starters, I could see your cards. Oh boy. And he was outside of that was my starting point. And I realized I was terrible. And in a way, I found that provocative. And I was like, I am going to get good at this game. And what I did is I made 180 flashcards from a pre-flop chart I found online of which cards to play when. And they were very girly. They were color-coded with stickers, uh, you know, with like raise, call, fold. And uh you know, and I went to like a bookstore 45 minutes away out in Virginia to find where they'd have a poker book. So I would call all these bookstores in DC and they were like, huh? You know, when I was like poker, right? Texas Hold'em, that was not the culture. Uh, right. And, 
you know, by the time I entered my first tournament, I won first place. There you go. Well, I remember seeing a picture of those, uh, of those flashcards online somewhere. I was definitely, oh, yeah, you know, we cool. talked about an article. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, it, and it harkens back in a way, sort of to like, you know, the, the pioneers of the game, like the Doyle Brunsons, you know, who kind of learned the game on their own. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, you, you took it upon yourself to, to make yourself better and not necessarily with the benefit of all this other stuff. Maybe later, you know, like we'll, we'll get into what you do today to study, but, um, you know, it certainly came from within. So you, there were no, you know, you know, with your dad or, or on your own or maybe during college, any sort of home games or getting into online poker. There was none of that in your story. None. <clears throat> and I think that's a big um, gap. I, I do. There was one time I went to like a college party and they played poker mm-hmm. and I remember playing it and I remember getting super lucky and I thought I was the best, but that was one time in my entire whole college um, history. And obviously I think that's a major gap with getting more women into poker is oh. there just aren't as many opportunities casually to play and recreationally right. to play. It's like, you kind of need to really dive into it mm-hmm. because none of my girlfriends ever invited me. Um, my dad used to play online before black Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't play after. Um, although I do have a fun story about me getting him to online poker with his free rolls, but, um, yeah, it was really kind of, you know, I was, I had just moved to DC from Los Angeles and, you know, I had just written an article for the LA times about dating apps and how sick I was with them. And I was 23, 24. Mm-hmm. And the, I was so done with going to bars and clubs on the weekend and dates. And then I found poker because I didn't know anyone in DC. And I was like, this is something I can do on a Saturday night. This okay. is like somewhere to be where, you know, cause I remember feeling like once the workday was over and I had the weekend, I felt so isolated. I just had nothing to do and I didn't know anyone. And so going to play poker at the MGM was really, really exciting and kind of took over my life. <laughs> well, it's definitely a great way to get out and meet people. You know, it is a social game uh, by nature. Oh, I met my husband. Something. There you go. Uh, David, right? David, yes. David. Cool. It's confusing because him and my dad have the same name. <laughs> okay. Well, so I, I, well, it was one or the other. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I met my husband in poker, David. Awesome. Also, I mean, clearly you're attracted to the social aspect of the game. You know, it's a great way 100%. to meet people. And also you said, you know, th- that firsthand that, you know, that you lost there, that you were motivated to get better. Is there anything about the game itself that's intriguing, you know, inherently to you? Gosh, it's like, what isn't? Mm. Uh, you know, my personality, I'm not a wallflower. You know, I'm, I'm bolder and like, I love the idea of, I like tournament poker where you have the chance to be aggressive and apply pressure. And especially when I was that age and I was working in um, a male dominated industry, mm-hmm. I felt, especially because of my age, even more so than being a woman, especially because of my age, I felt very small. Mm-hmm. And when you're in politics, it's very, very difficult to feel like, uh, your voice doesn't matter and you're not making an impact. And I felt like I was this barking puppy. Like as this 23 year old, like, please listen to me, please listen to me. And then what I loved about poker is 
no matter what you say, when you're putting, you know, when you're betting chips and you're putting someone to a decision for their turn right. in life, they're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, people use the word empowerment lightly, but I felt real power. <laughs> I'm not to sound crazy. You know, I felt like really um, in charge and like, you know, my actions spoke louder than my words when I was oh. betting with chips. Oh, that's fascinating. And like, at what point were you sort of able, I mean, you know, everyone knows, you know, to be very successful, generally speaking, at this game, you kind of have to dissociate the money aspect of like, okay, I'm betting a car now, or I'm, you know, I'm betting a, you know, a really yeah. nice fancy dinner. At what point did you feel sort of able to do that? And everyone knows, you know, when you're young, first starting off in your career, you don't necessarily have a, a gigantic bankroll to compete with perhaps more established players. Yeah. Um, honestly, I probably would have been better off being more cautious. Uh, so, <laughs> um, that wasn't an issue for me. Uh, but that's the reason why. So, you know, I teach classes for this organization, Poker Power. Mm -hmm. And and I'm also an ambassador for PLAN, uh, Poker okay. League of Nations, uh, which is another women's poker group. And I think one of the reasons why it's so important for women to play poker, but particularly tournament poker, is because you get the experience of having capital. Mm -hmm. You know, you buy in for a hundred bucks, 120 bucks, you get 20,000 chips, 30,000 chips. Right. And you have the experience of now that you're not just trying to play the minimum and get by, how do you want to allocate your resources? How risky do you want to be? Uh, how much do you want to invest in any single pot? And I think being able to play with money with freedom, yeah. which anyone can really do in a tournament because it equalizes, Yes, you know, how many chips you have, I, I think is really, really important and really meaningful if used correctly. Oh, excellent answer. And it is true. You know, even the World Series of Poker main event, even the Negranus, Ivies, and Helmuth, they start with the same amount you do. All you need is the, exactly. uh, that buy-in. Yeah, I like it. Um, well, you know, when you graduated college, and uh, UC Santa Cruz, you have a degree in Jewish studies. You know, we're both uh, members of the tribe, probably. I don't necessarily know. Like, how does that jive with, you know, getting into, into poker, into writing? So what, at what point do you sort of shift? You know, did you have maybe a, a different idea of what you wanted to do? That's a good question. Uh, fun fact, though, <laughs> the 2015 World Series of Poker uh, at main event, half the table was Jewish and or Israeli. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, I think there's more of us than you would think. Yes. Um, basically, I was working as a writer in D.C. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it related to my degree. Uh, and I knew at that point I wanted to write a book. And my book, it's called A Girl's Guide to Poker. And it's poker told, you know, in it's almost like legally blonde meets Poker for dummies. <laughs> it's like, you know, speaking about poker in a way that's fun, funny, feminine, upbeat, all that. But the mm -hmm. idea at the time was I didn't want it just to be a girl's guide to poker. I wanted to do a girl's guide to history, a girl's guide to mm. uh, politics and talk about times in history where one vote made a difference, you know, which was what my field was in. And so I think they're absolutely correlated. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I did directly get into it through writing and, you know, my original idea for my book, a girl's guide to poker, because I didn't really know much about poker, uh, was 
learn poker in under an hour. That was, <laughs> that was going to be the book. Okay. Um, because I figured it was, it couldn't be that hard. Um, and then, you know, it became this whole journey learning, uh, more in depth how to play, but I signed the book deal within about one year of learning how to play poker. That's like one year. Awesome. Of starting. Yes. Right. So it's uh, not a self-published. It, this is DNB poker. No, it's DNB poker. poker. I actually, yeah. it was very rare. I sent, um, like a teaser to three different poker book publishers. Like someone told me just Google, you know, the poker, like, where do you want to be published? Two out of three wanted it, which was right. pretty extraordinary. And, uh, I remember speaking with DNB pokers, Dan and Byron. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, people, and that's how we became connected. And I remember them telling me the story of receiving my email and they said, they got an email from me and they were like, Oh God, another person wants to write a book, you know, and that was the reaction like unsolicited. And so one of them went to the restroom and they said, by the time that he came back, the other one said, we have to publish this book. Wow. Yeah. And he said that in their two to three decades of publishing, I'm the second person that they did unsolicited that way. And that's not just, you know, blowing smoke. I, I know, you know, not Byron as well, but I know Dan very, very well. And, you know, these guys certainly know what they're doing. They've published autobiographies, strategy books. Um, you know, clearly uh, they must have seen something special. And, uh, you know, pretty obviously uh, that is the case. Um, you know, that's, that's a really cool story. Good on you. I mean, what is it that you sort of, I mean, I'm, I also, I studied linguistics. I'm, you know, very into writing myself. Uh, you know, what is it that you find um, I don't know, um, what's the word, sort of your personal calling as far as writing and expressing yourself. Can you talk about that a bit? Absolutely. So the funny thing is now everyone brands my book, a woman's poker book. When I wrote it, that was never my intention. Okay. I simply wanted to write a poker book in my own voice. Hmm. And I think that's what really has stood out about my writing uh, is that there's just this really, really strong sense of voice. And I always say, you know, I'm a writer first, poker player second, especially publishing that book. And that's, I think, what gave it an edge because so many poker books are written by poker players, not by writers. And yeah, I think it's that just really strong sense of tone that allowed it to stand out. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah, I think that okay. answer your question. Yeah, somewhere else I was going to go with it, but I kind of forgot. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you don't just you know write your own books; you help other people finish books. I you know, do. According to, oh, I Gibson. remember the story. Yes. Oh, okay. Sure. Go ahead. So, when I originally I thought I was going to be a speechwriter, okay. And about a year out of college, I actually got a job as a speechwriter. I ended up ghostwriting a speech for that was delivered in the United Nations. I go stroke for some military personnel and I realized I was terrible at it. And the reason why I was horrible and this was the worst career move I could have taken ghostwriting is because when you're ghostwriting for someone, you need it to be people that hire ghostwriters. They can't deliver a joke. You know, they're hiring you because you they're not, they're not creative. That's not their strength. And they want something that's a little bit, more generic, easy to deliver. And my speeches I wrote, they would be like rainbows and bubblegum. And they were just so clearly 
and Amanda Peace. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think now when I coach other people and I help them write books, my number one priority is having their voice get through. And that's why I very, very rarely ghost write because then it becomes an Amanda book. And instead I do sessions where I'm having them read their work aloud and we're editing collaboratively. Mm-hmm. So it's their book with their tone and their style. Right. And then I did look at uh, LinkedIn before we got on the conversation. You've got this company for the last half year or so. Uh, yep. Finally get your book done. I love it. It makes so much sense because anyone who, who's ever wanted to write one kind of has, including myself, is like, oh, one yep. day I'll get to it. One day I'll get to it. What was the impetus for, for starting that uh, company? Absolutely. So, you know, I've been blown away by the results and the demand for it. So I had a friend um, and she's a career coach and she wanted to write a book about, you know, like how to prepare for an interview and resume tips, kind of like a 20 minute ebook. And she was really struggling. She'd been working on it for months. And she called me on a Friday night, had a conversation about it. And then she calls me Monday morning and says, I got my book done. And, you know, and what Uh, I realized is the power and the momentum Mm. of having conversation. Here's how you outline it. Here's how you get in the space. And so now what I do, you're spending an hour every week talking about your idea. And I, I say that I know I did my job right if you can't wait to get off the phone with me. Mm. You know, because you're so hyped, excited, pumped. You know, you've been talking about your book for an hour and now you're ready to get writing. And it really is that true structure, accountability, partnership. And then during our sessions, whatever you wrote that week, um, we do like a read aloud, which is a great way to edit your work and you'll be able to catch yourself. And then having that third party mm-hmm. as an outside voice, like sounding board is really, really, uh, it's, it's been really exciting. That's it's interesting because you know, lots of times writers, you know, they just kind of like they get in the zone, they do their own thing, they're in there, you know, into that sort of expressing themselves. And here you are, you just kind of pivoted just slightly, not necessarily yes. away, but you know, I guess branched out in, in helping others. What what do you get out of it? I mean, obviously, you know, revenue and stuff, but like what are you searching for as far as like what why'd you decide to to do that as well as as your own writing? Yeah. My it sounds cheesy, but my clients have been really, really happy. And the, I call it like it's a finally get your book done because this is something we all know people that have a book in their head for years right here. and just, yeah, yeah you're right there. Exactly. Yeah. Even you and you, you, you're a runner, right? A website. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So you have your book idea in your head for years and being able to get that idea from out of your head and into reality is so powerful. And our first session So I call it like the brain dump. It's like a big outlining session. And what I do is I just have them talk for like an hour, hour and a half, however long it takes, tell me everything. And I take bullet points and I take notes, you know, you're like, this needs to be in there. And then this, and then, you know, and I I love this point. I want, you know, this quote speaks to me, put that in there. And we just write it all out. So by the end of our first session, number one, Hmm. you can look at it. That's amazing. It's on the page. It's in the bullet points. And we're already making a difference um, from that first hour. And I can tell it's clearly you know, by a smile on your face also like that. You get a lot of fulfillment out of helping someone do that. That's a pretty cool thing. I um, do. And yeah. it sounds funny, but it's really exciting to be able to use my degree as well. Because, you know, 
there's a lot of conversation about humanities degrees. You know, the, it's funny, the night I met my husband, he told me he was an English major. Mm. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm a writer. And he goes, stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> and I remember my thought in that moment was, it's never going to work out. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, here we are four years later, right? So, right. <laughs> and being able to, you know, a lot of times they say when you have a humanities degree or degree in liberal, art, or liberal arts, you don't always start off, you know, with that secure job right out of college. But a right. lot of times, 10, 20 years later, the salaries level out. Mm-hmm. And it really teaches you critical thinking. Uh, because I was a Jewish studies major, I was editor in chief of the Jewish newspaper, which gave me so much experience in going over articles and editing and working with people and things like that. And that's, you know, what helped launch my writing career and getting in the newspapers I did. So I feel like finally all of those things that I learned with engaging with literature and different uh, writing styles and how to think through certain topics and situations, uh, you know, and obviously there's a long Jewish history of debate. So, you know, being able to engage in conversations and make conversations powerful and effective and turn them into meaningful interpretations uh, has just been so exciting, so extraordinary. And I know people don't want to hear this, but my message is get an English degree, get whatever studies degree you want to get, whether it's Jewish studies, art history, you know, do the funky degree because you don't know where it's going to take you in the future. I love that message. That's great. I mean, again, a fellow English major, you know, so uh, you know, English linguistics uh, definitely resonates with right, linguistics. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it, that, you know, yeah. It's funny how I got into linguistics is you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought I'd want to be a doctor once upon a time, took a year off, went to yeshiva and I studied. And then I just like, well, I know English. Let's see what the English department has to offer. And this is here in Israel. And I was like, linguistics, what's that? And I looked at the potential syllabus, like the curriculum over there. And like half of the courses look interesting. I'm like, oh, it's like science and language. I'm like, oh, okay, what am I going to do with it? I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And as you said, you know, like very eloquently, um, you know, eventually you do sort of figure it out because it equips yes. you with so many skills, uh, you know, that critical thinking ability to express yourself properly. And, uh, you know, yeah, then, then, you know, I'm, I'm here <laughs> doing, doing what I do. So, uh, as you do say, uh, you know, it does level out eventually. Uh, and everything you said, uh, resonates. And I will also say, um, you know, having read a lot of your writing, you express yourself verbally just as eloquently uh, as you do uh, with the pen or with the keyboard. So uh, not not just saying it, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Like you have a very precise way of speaking and delivering your message, uh, even verbally. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you also have this didactic streak. This one kind of like made me go, oh, she teaches at SMC, Santa Monica College. You've got you're an instructor. You teach poker in the classroom. How did that come about? Well, that was during COVID. Okay. Um, they want me to continue teaching. Okay. We'll see based on my schedule. Um, okay. Okay. Yes. So I at Santa Monica College, which is a community college here in Santa Monica, uh, they have a continuing education department, and oh. uh, yeah, and I. Um, I knew someone who was teaching classes there and they gave me a contact and, you know, I went through a screening process uh, to be able to teach their poker class. And I devised a curriculum and basically what we would do, and it was one of their most popular classes during COVID. Uh Yeah, of course. Um, What we would do, this is what I do when I take, I still take um, private poker students a lot. And 
whenever I do, you know, tutoring, I think I offer kind of a unique service compared mm-hmm. to um, many poker coaches because uh, I don't do hand histories. So what right. I do is we watch YouTube clips of okay. hands and, but we like have a discussion about it. So like we pause it and it's different layers. So in the class, cause you have people at different levels of um, study, right? Mm-hmm. Beginner, intermediate, advanced. So starts like level one. Is this a good card for Phil Helmuth or a bad card for Phil Helmuth? Right. And you say a bad card. And then, or sorry, you say a good card, right? And then it okay. says, great. So the next level, should you better check? And they say bet. And then we look at the pot and we say, okay, you're going to bet how much? And then we do that before while we're pausing mm-hmm. the clip. And then we can mm-hmm. compare that with the hand. And then I think what's most interesting with going through these videos, a lot of times we'll stop and pause and rewind uh, different tells and body language. And that's kind of... As I get older with my poker career, that's my main focus and interest mm-hmm. is uh, different tells and that's what cool. people give away in language and conversation. It's really fair. I'm like, what made you think, you know, I'm going to go and teach this to, you know, yeah, sure, continuing education, but like, I'm going to go and do a college course. Where, where did that idea come from? It's a good question. You know, <laughs> you just, you just I do like, think oh, it was well, a good <laughs> resume builder. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> so I thought... You know, in case I ever did want to teach, it was a good, you know, at, at a um, different community college or college courses in uh-huh. who knows what, <laughs> given um, all my different interests here. But right. I thought it was a great foot in the door. And I yeah. thought that, you know, I'd really developed um, a curriculum based on the hands I thought were meaningful. Obviously, I made slides as well with different yeah. flashcards and things and you know, and odds and stuff like that. But so much of it is like a deep dive group analysis, Mm -hmm. going over a hand and thinking about it, not passively, but thinking about it actively. And of course that's really fun. Like everyone is a poker player that loves to like nerd out and get into Mm -hmm. it. Uh, It's, it's extremely enjoyable and it's a little bit unconventional compared to what a lot of uh, other programs offer where it's more focused on the, you know, technicalities. Sure. Well, what's something that you've learned from your students? What have I learned from my students? There's a lot. I think, you know, everyone um, comes to the poker table with a different MO, right? Like a different background, different experience. And you really learn like people's context and where they think from. Hmm. And when you're starting out, it's very, very tempting to be like wrong, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I used to say, this is terrible. I used to say, when you're getting judgmental, you're getting better. Right. Like, it's like when you first start to play poker, you think, oh, I won that hand. Great. Oh, I lost that hand, whatever, you right. know, and then you start to get better. And you're like, how did he beat me with King three? Right. You know, you're like, what an idiot. What a donkey. Right. And you start to get really judgmental. But kind of learning to kind of understand the mindset and personality of why this person is playing King three, what's their relationship with money? Why are they sitting at a poker table? Are they there to play properly? Are they interested in getting things right? Or are they interested in breaking the rules? Mm-hmm. You know, just really trying to get into their headspace mm-hmm. and embracing that everyone can be right in doing that and having different motivations, I think is a uh, fascinating. And when you're 
there's so many layers when you have, when you're watching that with the hand and then you're watching what the student brings to the game. Right. And, and I guess that sort of helps you with your own game to a degree. Completely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever considered playing professionally? I've considered it. You know, I really uh, only like, I think tournaments are by far my better game than cash. Um, cash games are fun. Sometimes I get, you know, a little bored of the grind. And then I think I have more of an edge in tournaments um, because in tournaments, there's a lot more incentive to bluff and apply pressure and all these things. You know, in a cash game, you're playing like a two, five game. Yep. You could literally be a profitable player and never bluff. You know, yep. you could just play, yeah, you could just play good hands, you know, um, value that appropriately and just do the math and you'll be fine. And the poker tournament, if you never ever bluff, you don't have a chance of being a winning player. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've thought about it. Uh, my husband uh, played professionally for over 10 years. And, but you know, I, I think poker is absolutely amazing. Sometimes I think it's a little difficult to make it your only thing. Mm. And I feel like now that I have other things going on in my life with, yeah. you know, my writing program uh, and service, it's actually made my poker game better hmm. than when I was just focusing on poker and having all the pressure and intensity, you know, on them not hitting their gut shot. Sure. <laughs> Or well, me hitting mine, right? It's like, uh, yeah. So I, I think that having other things going on in my life actually makes me a better poker player. How often would you say that you get to play or that you choose to play? Well, I do play every week. Uh, but, okay. but for me, that's, you know, that's, uh, I was playing at one point in like 2018, like every day. Yeah, that's, that's obviously more of a, of a professional kind of a thing. But what, once a yeah. week, you know, maybe even twice a week, I think that's, uh, Certainly, you know, the serious recreational player type. And that's of, how uh, I would probably classify myself. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And where's uh, it, it home games or where's your favorite room? That's, you're in Southern California. so I like Hollywood Park Casino. I find it mm -hmm. to be the friendliest in uh, L.A. And, uh, you know, it's obviously the, clo it's the closest to me as well. But I think it's a lot of fun. Although... If I were to be a hundred percent frank, because I know people have conversations about women in poker and we talk about what we can do, what we can do to get more women in poker. So when I first started playing at the MGM national Harbor, it was beautiful. I wasn't playing to win money. I was playing because it was a fun place to be on a Saturday night. It was. And I think a lot of, you know, at least I can speak for myself. My primary motivation was social and activity and some, you know, and I wanted that experience. And I remember, and it was gorgeous, you know, it can compete with any Vegas casino mm -hmm. and the lobby, you walk in and there's these giant flower displays and it's yeah. like the Bellagio. And then I remember going to the casinos in Los Angeles mm. and they were rough. <laughs> and I remember thinking if this was my first experience, when I started playing poker, mm. I really don't know if I would have gotten into it wow. because it wasn't, you know, I've gotten cheated at the commerce, gotten hustled there. Um, and, you know, where besides the atmosphere, kind of not as attractive and beautiful flowers and things like that. 
Like I actually at the commerce casino, I thought that a, a guy only had like a, like 50 bucks left in his stack. And so I set all in and then he pulled out several hundred chips out of his sleeve. And the floor looked at the cameras and he told, and everyone at the table was shocked and the whole game broke. And the floor looked at the cameras and said, from your position at the table, there was no way you could have physically seen that he had those chips hiding, Right. but we're not going to pursue it. Yeah. Cause it was too much trouble on the gaming board. So yeah. And it was like, for me, like that's the kind of stuff that happens at CDR casinos and things like that. And you kind of have to have more of a chip on your shoulder. And so being like this kind of young, bubbly woman in poker, if that was my first experience, I really, really, I think it's 50-50. Even someone from like me who like lives, breathes, talks, speaks about poker, I think having a safe, comfortable, lovely atmosphere makes a big difference. And you know, it's never going to be 50-50 just because men and women have different motivations, but it mm-hmm. should be more than 4%. Yes. Yeah, it should be more than 4% like women in poker. Um, yeah, so I think one of the things in bridging that gap is you really need to think about what are some of the things that motivate women besides making money? And one of those is the ambiance and the atmosphere. And that may sound silly and that may sound small, but from my personal experience, that's what made the difference. And that's what made me get hooked. Yeah, so I, I hear that. It's not, uh, you know, and I'll, dare, dare I, ex, you know, extend that a little bit further? Not just women, you know, the, the, <laughs> commerce, the commerce isn't for everybody. I've been, you know, I've been there. I love it. You know, it's like a sea, you know, yeah. you imagine this, you know, the World Series, but like, the, it, you know, on a daily basis, you have like this gigantic room, tables going all the time in big metropolitan area, you know, the bike, Hollywood Garden, you know, the Gardens Casino, like, you know, the, some of the biggest poker rooms in the world. They're not fully fledged, you know, Vegas resort type casinos, but there's plenty of poker there. But like you said, you know, it's not exactly that welcoming ambiance necessarily. This is like, okay, you must know exactly what you're doing. I've heard a lot of stories and, you know, angle shooting, that type of stuff, you know, but to have the floor not rule in your favor after quite literally admitting that, you know, you were (laughs) in the right. That's that's uh, very unfortunate. And I can understand like you know the game breaking and you never wanting to set foot in an establishment like that again. Yikes. That is um that's a rough one. It was rough. So yeah, I just feel like the little things make a difference, you know? Hmm. And atmosphere, comfort, all the you know, it totally, totally matters because Sometimes I bring, you know how like guys have a girlfriend that sits behind them, they play, play poker. Sometimes I'll bring like a friend of mine who's like a girl. Um, and, so, you know, I really have to preface it whenever I bring them to a casino here. Like, so, you know, it's especially because I'll usually play entry level stakes, like the 40, just to show them what the cards mean. Um, and I'll say like, you know, it's not exactly Vegas, right? It's right. a little rough. You know, it's all these things that uh, these hoops and. Uh, yeah, so it really, really does make a difference. Uh, the atmosphere, particularly for beginners of all sorts, if you can make it a more fun place to be, then people are more likely to want to stay. 
Right. And then just uh, you know, a little note, not, not everyone necessarily has played uh, in the California poker rooms. You mentioned very briefly the 40. Uh, that refers to one, two with a minimum buy-in of $40. Uh, that's uh, unique to Southern California poker as far as I know. And an never... $8 drop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it jackpot. is. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for all the poker I've played, I've never even gotten a table chair. So. Same here. Uh, <laughs> oh really? Yeah, let, let's get that royal flush together. You can be, you know, the winning or the losing hand. Well, someday that would be very nice. Someday, right? Get a table share. So yeah, it's just a game that you play to like, you know, um show people what what the cards are and what it's like and be more casual and stuff like that. Um sure. but yeah, so I think that if we want more women in poker, we need to pay attention to a lot of things that motivate women. And Sometimes that means, like I've said before, my father and I had our tag team victory. The number one thing you can do is more tag team events. And the reason why is in 2019, I believe, my father and I played a tag team, our first tag team tournament, Plant Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And it was shockingly about 30% women. And we never see a wow. tournament that's 30% women right? ever. Right. And what were they doing? Well, the reason why it was because it was a tag team. So one, a lot of women who wouldn't have the confidence to play on their own would play as a girlfriend sure. or they would be play with their husband or their boyfriend. And again, they wouldn't do it on their own. Two women tend to be more fiscally conservative. And so you're splitting the buy-in, right? You know, uh, so it was like $120 tournament, 60 bucks each, but you win, you still won like 2000 over the day. Like it was totally fun and it became obvious. And it was the same reasons that I got into poker because it was a social atmosphere. And so when you have events like a tag team, I actually think in addition and possibly even more so, and not just getting women in the game, but how do we get new people in the game? Because poker has a problem as it gets tougher uh, with getting new people in the game and making it friendlier. And I really, really believe even before my dad and I, our story in the power of tag team tournaments. And it's one thing as a, you know, media person, I, I do this type of stuff all the time, just always promoting and marketing the game and, you know, sending those messages, but it's certainly something else hearing it from someone directly based on your experiences and just proving how those experiences really do matter you know, to the negative of like, it shouldn't be like this. And to the positive, it should be more like this. And this is how you grow the game. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty cool to sort of hear that from you. Uh, just before we get into the tag team uh, event a little bit, because I definitely want to hear that story. Uh, and I'm sure our audience does as well here on the Cards Chat podcast. Uh, just about your book, you know, like they say, you know, uh, no, don't read the comment section of the YouTube videos. But what has the, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's been kind of fun. You know, to the best of my knowledge, the book has been incredibly positively uh, and well received. Uh, what sort of feedback have you gotten that, you know, really kind of struck a chord and was very memorable to you uh, about your book? I got consistently told the same thing by poker news outlets. I got like, for example, take poker news. I was begging them to review my book and it took forever. And then they said, Oh my gosh, I was dragging my feet. I didn't want to read a woman's poker book. And I absolutely love this. And now I'm recommending it. And that was consistent because there's a stigma, right? It's like, 
you know, it's like girl pushups, right? Is this like poker light, you know, poker light, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I want to do real pushups. Um, uh-huh. And it was consistently, and I guess this is kind of a metaphor for women in poker. It was consistently um, underestimated. Okay. And then in the reviews, it was like incredibly positive. Awesome. So, and a, another person who was actually a woman, she was like, I forgot what poker news outlet she wrote for a different one. And she was saying, I thought I was going to have to sugarcoat this review. <laughs> and, uh, and then she was like, but I genuinely loved it. And it's been forever since, you know, cause she writes about poker all the time since I've actually wanted to play poker. And then she said, you know, she wants to play poker girlfriend. So it's been super fun. It's been super exciting. The women at poker power have been very supportive about, um, promoting the book and recommending it to our beginners because I really wrote it um, as the poker book I would have wanted when I was trying to learn basically from scratch. You know, I knew hand rankings from my dad, but I didn't know much else. I remember sitting at a poker table and it was a revelation to me Mm. that a guy said, you know, those fish that call the whole way with bottom pair. And I was like, you're not supposed to do that. Like I, you know, I just had no idea. Right. And I remember like the first time I learned how to raise and then I just raised every single hand. Right. <laughs> I was getting so much credibility because I'm playing like a one, three, you know, it's going to raise you back at those stakes. Yeah. And then it was just like, you know, for me kind of learning from scratch, learning the hard way and me trying mm-hmm. to decipher all these books <clears throat> that were way too hard for me to understand. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write the, um, friendly intro to poker book that I would have wanted to read. Excellent. Well, I, I was just laughing a little bit harder because the woman was uh, Jennifer Newell. She reviewed she was the book. You, a card player, right? Yeah. Lifestyle. Card player lifestyle. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, definitely. And she has been in the business for 20 years or so doing poker writing. So, uh, you know, when I saw her words as well in that review, it was like, wow, that that's definitely saying something. Uh, you know, it wasn't sugarcoated in the slightest. Um, so, you get, you know, you and your dad, you know, it's well documented. You had that third place finish in the tag team event. Uh, what made you decide uh, to play the game, uh, you know, to, to enter that event together, you know? So it seemed like a natural fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad and I playing, you know, obviously he taught me how to play poker mm-hmm. and we've had some really uh, cute moments leading up to this. Mm-hmm. Like I remember my very first time I played poker at a casino with my dad, I had just started playing in DC. So this was like probably my third time playing poker. And I was terrible. Like I was so bad that, so I would count out my chips, this $5 chips in increments of 10. So like two in a pile. And my dad, he just asked me point blank. It's just being totally serious. And he says, do you do that to annoy people? Like <laughs> I was taking that long. And so I clearly don't know what I'm doing. And I remember we, we broke even. And I was so excited. We're racking up our chips. And this one guy's playing loose, crazy. He raises. And I look down at Kings, my last hand. And I re-raise him. And I barely know how to put in chips. So I'm like the typical, like, little girl, you know, completely playing face up. Obviously, I have, like, Kings. Right. Okay. I re-raise. And he goes all in. And I look at my dad. And I say, I'm sorry, dad. I have to call. And the guy has ace king and he hits the ace. And I look at my dad and I said, I'm sorry, dad, I have to call. My dad says, I would have been more upset if you didn't call. There you go. (laughs) Right? Like that was like the dynamic with my father. And the last story leading up into the tag team was 
So my dad, um, he plays cash games, but he never played tournaments before I started playing. And he really, I bring him to a few tournaments, just local casino dailies. And he realizes he can't really get his footing and that this is kind of a different game. And so what I do is I set him up on an online poker website with free rolls and they have a daily free roll. Well, they have multiple free rolls. Um, so you enter for free. The tournaments would have about seven or 800 people. Mm-hmm. They would take seven hours. Okay. If you got fifth place or sorry, if you got 10th place, you got 25 cents. And if you got first place, you got $2 and 25 cents. Nice. And my dad's just for reference, his normal cash games as a recreational player is five ten. Okay. Dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Blinds. So that's yeah. his normal, that's his normal shtick. And okay. <laughs> so I set him up on these free rolls and I start getting messages from my mom. <laughs> what is your dad doing until three in the morning? Why won't he get on the computer? And then I start getting messages from my dad. <laughs> I'm in 20th place. Hey, I'm at the final table. And after three weeks, he had over $4 in that account from free rolls entirely. And that's just the kind of person that my dad is, right? Like that, you know, he used to be an accountant and I was in real estate, but it's like that disciplined, you know, uh, methodical. He really wanted to understand the game and he learned this comes into play with how we won the, how we went so far in the tag team is you know, he comes from a generation where you don't re-raise queens. Yeah. <laughs> and you learned that online, like pocket eights is nuts. Like in a free roll, like you are like really strong. Right? And like, you know, and like shoving light. And you know, it's like yeah. you're right. It's it's just a whole nother world. Mm-hmm. And so we go to play the tag team event. Well, before I get to I'll I'll let you. Um, guide the conversation before I talk. Oh, no, that's fine. Go ahead. I want to hear the story. You're, you're telling it very well. Go ahead. Okay. So at the tag team event, so it's day one and my dad blows it. All right. He like overplays a pair of aces. I'm like a super straight board. Can't fold it. And I'm like, and we basically agree. I'm playing the rest of this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have like almost no chips day mm-hmm. one. Right. We're almost out. And we... And I'm like texting him and my husband, like at the end of day one, you know, we're basically out of this thing and we barely make it to day two. And I remember my dad and I were pissed because the tag team started at like two or three in the afternoon. And that meant that we couldn't do the 11 a.m. tournament. (laughs) Right. And so it's like here, we're going to use up our whole day. We're at the WSOP. We can't play anything else because we're going to play this dumb tag team thing for like two hours and then bust. Right. So I'm playing, you know, I'm getting some shoves through, I'm catching some cards starting to like give us a comeback here. And I'm getting texts from my dad, please. Can I play? I don't want to play. I won't blow it. I won't blow it. You know, I'm not going to lose our chips. Please. Can I play? And then I say, fine. I need to eat lunch. All right. Cause there's no breaks in the tag team. Right. 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 30 minutes. And then I get tagged back in. Okay. Okay. And I play one hand. And during this one hand, a guy tries bluffing me for all of our chips. And it's, it's a very good bluff. I mean, it's a check raise all in on the river. Um, 
but it was a complete body language. Like he looked scared on the turn. It was like a Doyle Brunson, you know, look me in the eyes and I'll see your cards. Right. 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 Yeah. And so I called for two reasons. One, because of my read, even Mm -hmm. though his story was very sound and two, so a lot of people during the tag team, they said, I would call here if it wasn't, if it was my chips, like, I don't want to screw over a team. And I remember thinking, you know what? I have my dad's blessing. Like whatever decision I do, I know my dad's going to back me up on it. And I think that gave us a huge edge because, because of that, I was able to make the call. Hmm. If, it, if I was partnered with anyone else, I probably would have folded as well. Wow. But I knew that he was on my side. So I play one hand, call the bluff correctly. Now we got chips and I'm shaking. Like my hands, right. like so much adrenaline. So I text my dad and I say, dad, you're back in. Yeah. yeah. And then, and I think that's the beauty of the tag team. Why it's a team effort. It's having someone, you know, pick up the slack, you know, to like give him the rope. And right. it was a blast for hours and hours. And he got the tougher table draws. I'm not going to lie. Like he had, um, was it Jeff Platt, right? The yeah. commentator. Right, mm-hmm. him and his teammate and Schwan Lu and Melanie White, like he's getting the tough table draws. And I remember, and this is where his age comes in. I remember texting him. So my dad says that poker's really changed for him because when he was 25, people thought he's this young, aggressive guy that bluffs all the time. Mm-hmm. And so people would uh, play a lot more, like he would just be a play trappy, right? And now he's right. 65 sure. and everyone thinks that he never bluffs. Cause he's a senior guy. Right. So he said that what was working for him, he had to change. And so I asked him, how's it going? Okay. And he says, we've won every hand for the last hour and I've bluffed every one of them. Wow. Yeah. And he says, people were pissed. He said, they're like 65 year old guy betting and got a fold. Right. Got a fold, got a fold, right. He's got to have it, you know? And so he really carried the torch for mm. some of the hardest parts of the tournament, pretty much all of the later half of day two. And wow. it was so fun, like cheering him on. I'm like getting the poker news up there, the updates. I'm texting him. I'm texting my husband, trying to explain a little bit to my mom, like, this is good. You know, we're, we're, we're winning. Dad's <laughs> doing great. Um, she doesn't quite know poker talk, but sure, sure. so it was like, the most fun experience I've ever had like playing and I was not playing. And by the time we, and I ended up tagging at the very end of day two, but by the time we made it to the final table, it was a true team effort. Hmm. And it was funny because it was like, we were on cloud nine, you know, we were getting Lon McGarren like tweeting about us and, you know, uh, we felt like celebrities. Like we walked in for the second day for the final table, the third day, excuse me. And, you know, we're like, we want to interview you and we want to make a clip, you know? And so there's all this buildup. And then the very, very, very first hand of the tournament, we're almost out. And it was completely my own doing, but it was, so what happened was. This is day three. Yeah. Yep. Day three, okay. final table. Yeah. Okay, so there's, right, right. there's this guy. It's funny because at the final table, three of us have been on the same table for most of day two. 
okay. which is very rare. So we kind of know each other twice. There's this guy. He had been bragging about his tournament wins. He thinks he is so cool, right? And so it's the very first hand on the final table, and he raises. And I'm thinking, it's like he knows what I know, what you know, what I know. Sure. He's figuring that none of us have ever made a WSOP final table before. We're all probably skittish. So he's probably going to be raising really light. So he raised from the cutoff. I'm on the button with King Jack offsuit. I I three bet him. I re-raise. The woman next to me in the small blind very disappointedly folds. That becomes important later. So she folds. He calls. Flop is um, Jack nine eight. Sorry, or Jack nine. Queen. It's like I had a gut. It's like I had a one over and a gut shot. There was a jack and a nine, and I had the card. So, mm-hmm. and there was two clubs, and I had the king clubs. Check check. Turns like an inconsequential card, like a four. He bets into me. I call, and the river pairs the nine. So it's like, oaks. Oh, I remember king ten many straight. So it's queen nine jack. Four, nine. Mm-hmm. And the front door clubs come in and I have the king clubs. And he puts this all in. And, you know, and I had like the perfect blockers. I blocked the straight and like I blocked the flush. And, you know, is he really going to go this hard with ace queen, you know, type thing. So, and it was just that same moment. It was that same Will my dad be disappointed in me if I fold? Do I really have his backing, you know, to make this crazy call? And the first hand of the tournament, when everyone's thinking we're like, you know, the father-daughter duo, where we could really be out. And I was like, no matter what I do, I know my dad's there for me. And so I made the call and we doubled up our first hand. Well, he left us like with one big blind. So we essentially doubled up. Mm -hmm. And then what, so that's lesson one is the, that was a true team. Like I consider that a team call because I, again, I knew that I had the support. And then the other thing, that woman said she folded queen Jack. There you go. Okay. Right. And if I had, because a lot of people, they're scared, you know, sometimes the best defense is offense, right? That's Mm -hmm. why I three about the king Jack. If I had called the king Jack offsuit, you know, like a fish being like, you know, but the sky's raising light. And I know my king highs, king jack's ahead. And so I call blah, blah, blah. She would have called her queen jack suited. Right. She would have flopped two pair. I would have had the one over card, the gut shot, the backdoor flush draw. I would have had to call and I would have been crippled. Unbelievable. It's like, you know, it's that, yeah. that um, it's the sliding doors, you know, one little thing changes and it you know, completely changes the direct, uh, direction of the story. Um, totally. Unbelievable. At, at what point did you sort of, you know, beyond the fun and the thrill and, you know, playing with your dad and all this, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you said, you want me to guide the conversation? No, 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 this is your story. And it's like, I mean, you have me in the palm of your hand. And it's just like, wow, this is a very cool thing. At what point did you and your, you know, maybe, maybe it was even at separate times, you and your dad believe, hey, maybe we can make a run at this thing and, and, and make that final table, maybe win bracelets. When did that happen? When we started to get in the press updates, and I remember there was a hand where my dad was like up against one of the pros and 
they're like re-raising him. My dad's like stationing with a pair of threes, you know, and he's like hanging on for like dear life, the typical, you got ace king, right. You know? Um, and one of these, um, you know, big name pros is trying to run over my dad and he calls and that makes a headline, you know? And it's like, cause we, um, I just got married, but I'm in the process of changing my name. So right now my dad and I, you know, I have his name. So it's like team Botfeld. Yep. You know, makes the call with threes. And all of a sudden, after that hand, we had one of the biggest stacks in the tournament. And I remember thinking, because we actually started to get, you know, a big stack, but we weren't getting any attention for it. It was mm-hmm. like, here's the players to watch. You right. know, X players still in the game, Y player. And I'm like, well, we have a lot of chips, you know, but we're not getting um noticed. And then it was when they noticed. And it was those things make the difference. And I think that's the experience being at the WSOP because actually yeah. backtracking a little bit, my, the very first day when we were almost out my, at the end of day one, my phone had ran out of battery and I texted, right. My dad was playing cash games and my husband, you know, was on standby and I texted them, you know, my phone's going to die. Um, see, you know, I'll meet you at the tables when we bust. Right. And my husband had the wherewithal to check the updates. And we'd gotten interviewed for it. Hey, I'd won a small pot with the hand, right? Um, and it was like 45 minutes later after I said, my phone's died. We're going to be out any minute. And he had been texting my dad. You're oh, still in. Nice. And so it was like those little moments mm-hmm. when it became real for other people. Mm-hmm. When you got to make a headline, when you got like your name in print, all of a sudden it came to be like, this could really happen. Mm. So that was super duper exciting. And that's when it materialized. But I remember, you know, it was an uphill battle, like until the end of day two, like I remember being in the hallway on a break and you know, that song, like, Oh, we're halfway there living on a prayer. And I remember like going, was like, Adam, like, you know, a chip in a chair, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like living on a prayer because we were, not favorites in any way, shape or form. Right. So, but yeah, once we had that pocket threes headline, mm-hmm. that was the moment where it's like, we could do this. So, I mean, it's a dream run and, you know, yeah. you, you know, of course you, you, you have this, you know, it's called a dream run for a reason. You have a dream. Oh, wouldn't it be incredible to win a bracelet, that sort of thing. But then you find yourself sitting at the final table, final hand comes, you finish third. Are you just, still on that cloud nine or is there a little bit of disappointment? I was very pleased. The hand couldn't have been any more standard. And it was like a no regrets hand. It was, we were three handed. we kind of dwindled with our chips a little bit. And one team had just a massive lead. Um, and we were three handed and uh, I had ace five and like no chips. And he had like a six or a nine, but yeah. like, and we, and we both thought we were going to chop and he ended up turning a four flush. So, but I just remember, I would have thought it was like something stupid or regrettable if like, cause I remember he raised the button. I shoved the blind, like, you know, if I'd tried, you know, to make a move and it didn't work out, or if I had a really good hand, like I had pocket Kings and I lost the stupid ace nine, right. it just felt like completely standard. It was just my time to die. Okay. And so the fact that we made it to third place was great. I remember about 
halfway, like when we're down to like, I was, we were all in at a flip at one point. We had, um, when was like half the final table been eliminated. Um, we had ace king and uh, one player at jacks and the flop was like a desert. It was like queen deuce three might've been actually queen deuce three. Like there was not a lot going on for us and standing up my, you know, dad said, you know, it's like everyone's silent and the turns the ace and it's like this gasp, right. You know, it's like, oh, like breathe in, like, oh my gosh, right. and the river was clean. Right. So we doubled up and I'm trying to be respectful. And I look over at my dad and he's doing like the dorkiest dance I've ever seen. You know, he's voting, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this is not like how you're supposed to carry yourself, right? With the right. Kid, but like doing like his um, happy 65 year old dance, you know, like so <laughs> giddy. And that was a turning point because it's a big, you know, any final table is extraordinary, yeah. but that was like the difference between being knocked out in like fifth versus third, which is a, or it might've even been six versus third, which is huge and very pivotal. Well, I, 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 and I, I laugh about it because, you know, of course we're not supposed to gloat, but that wasn't like a, you know, neener, neener, you know, you know, no, hot, yeah, you know, it wasn't it, mean spirited. This was, this was just pure, you know, an adulterated joy. I think that's beautiful. And I think to a degree, you know, the more you know, we just get used to this and play so many tournaments or whatever it may be, you kind of lose a little bit of that. I think that's kind of like, you know, even a pro, you know, sees that he's got to just, you know, somewhere deep down, be like, okay, you know, he's happy. I get it. You know, it's yeah. there's something very beautiful about that. Um, obviously, your you know your biggest uh, cash to date. You know, that's a not insignificant chunk of change. Did you guys splurge on anything? <laughs> yeah, I played the main event. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, which wasn't the most bankroll wise decision, to be honest, but. <laughs> I wanted to parlay the bet. Um, and at the um, same time, there was something pretty cool about being 28 years old, being a woman in poker and playing the main. Yeah. You know, I thought that was going to be a goal that, you know, it would take me till I'm my dad's age mm -hmm. to accomplish and to do. And I remember being, you know, when you look at the demographics, First of all, the main event's 4% women. And second yep. of all, the number of women under the age of 30 is, you can probably count them on one hand. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty extraordinary. And then on my dad's end, uh, my mom's engagement ring, actually the top, the stone had, dro had dropped. And so it was perfect timing. <laughs> so his win went to um, an updated uh, engagement ring. but. Uh, you know, and I, didn't, I obviously, I didn't do well, um, playing the main that time, uh, was probably the worst run I've ever had of cards. Um, but I thought that it was really meaningful and there's so many people I'm sure in your audience who their lifelong dream is to play the main event Yeah, and to be able to have done that and to have done that when I did that, mm -hmm. uh, was really exciting, even though. I ended up writing some articles that it was a little bit overrated, but that's a, that's a, a different story. Okay, that, that's fair. Uh, 10K, though, I mean, also, you know, I don't want to pry too deep in case you don't want to reveal, but like, you know, 10K out of one's own pocket, not everyone does that. Did you have uh, stakers, backers, or you had 100% of yourself? 
I had most of myself. Um, okay. I did get some backers. So okay. what happened was at first I tried playing all these little satellites, the WSOP, which I do right. not recommend. Um, they were not well-structured. And I mean, in a way that's a good thing because it kind of is more luck and random whoever gets in. So it's not like the pros are going to win the satellites and then they're right. going to be in the tournament. Like it really was anyone's game. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a total shot fest, these satellites. And so <laughs> I blew a little bit on the satellites. And so then I decided, so then I was able to get some backers for the main, but the total investment when you include the satellites was almost 10K because yeah. play a $2,000 satellite and it's 500, yeah. you know, it adds up. So um, I did, I did have backers, Okay, but I had pretty much committed most of it. Like I think I was in for 7,500 if you count the satellites. Yeah. Okay. And, and no regrets though. Like you said, you know, it, it, perhaps a little overrated, but as far as like, you know, ticked it off the bucket list, you say worth it would have done it again. Yes. Um, though, you know, I've written some, I've actually wrote a piece for cards chat about is the main event overrated. Um, I think poker is changing. You know, I think, um, Back in the day, there wasn't, weren't a lot of options outside the main event. You know, you didn't have the mystery bounty at the win uh, for 2200, which is an amazing event that I've played before. Uh, and it's so fun. And you didn't have, you know, the flip and go and all these twists and all these different fun, create. you know, the tag team, these creative spins on poker. And it's a grind. You know, when Chris Moneymaker won the main event in 2003, it was five days. Yeah. Last year in 2021, I believe you didn't make the money until day four. Right. So you're right. So you're playing for four days without even making the money. And it's hard. You and know, it's not a day or two of a break as well. It's not four consecutive days. It's like one. Yeah. And, and you're, so you're it, there. it lasts a while. Right. So you're sitting there. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's, it's not quite the. Mm-hmm you know, the same fun run that I think it used to be. And obviously poker is a lot tougher now, more studied. And when I, and because there are so many satellites in the main event, my table was like, who can min cash more? Like it was like the people folded Kings preflop, people folded top two. Like it was just like the nittiest, tightest, most tense table. And it wasn't, you know, I've played, for example, that 2200 at the win event where it felt like fun. And what I expected going into the main, and a lot of it depends on your table draw, but I expected we were going to like battle it out, you know, and yeah. three bet. And I can't tell you how many hands I would open and everyone folds. <laughs> and when you're like incredibly deep and like, you know, so it just, if you haven't got the chance to play the main, uh, don't feel bad. <laughs> you know, but people yeah. like they're, they're, they're not, you know, there are now more alternatives. And as poker continues to, I think COVID gave it a big boost, mm-hmm. um, you know, people playing online and as it continues to grow and especially as it continues to get more creative and also as there are more high rollers and more options, if you want to play something where you really feel it, you can really win big money. Um, I think that all the emphasis on the main event, there actually are, more avenues now. Nice. Well, I like a very refreshing perspective. It's not necessarily the be all and end all. Um, you know, we do have some community questions for you, but before we get to them, I'd be uh, kind of remiss if we didn't talk a little bit at least about 
uh, Poker Power. Uh, you know, how did you first uh, get involved as an instructor with that wonderful organization? Yes, uh, they approached me, one of the teachers, um, because they'd heard about my book, uh, one of the women's poker Facebook groups. And, you know, I was one of the probably OG five teachers or so. And uh, I had a big say in helping develop the curriculum alongside Melanie Weisner and some of the other great instructors, like such as kind of England and Sarah Stefan. And, uh, but poker power changed a lot. We were originally teaching high schoolers and yeah. um, now we're teaching corporate women. I have a conference on San, in San Francisco on Thursday where we're teaching to bank of America. So wow. it's our demographics completely changed. Cool. And, uh, in a lot of different things that I learned from teaching different ages as well. Mm -hmm. So they just sort of like found you and that's how that relationship began. Yep. They reached out to me and they said, would you be interested in teaching poker? And at the time, um, my, cause this was right around when the pandemic started, my husband and I, who we were the boyfriend, girlfriend, we basically got stranded abroad. And so we really right. needed remote work. Um, yeah. And and that's also when I started teaching the Santa Monica College classes. So we had a like two-week trip planned to Niagara Falls in Canada. Um, my birthday's March 8th. It overlapped my birthday. The Falls View Poker Series is just ending in February. So we were going to stay there for about two, three weeks. And then COVID happens. And my husband's flight to Ireland gets canceled because he's mm -hmm. from Ireland. And what was supposed to be a two week trip turns into six months in stranded in Niagara Falls. And then we needed a country we could both go to, right? Cause Americans couldn't go to Europe during the pandemic and right. vice versa. So we went to Mexico and we spent a year and a half living in Cabo, adopted a dog, got married. And that's where I taught most of the poker power classes from mm -hmm. um, our apartment, uh, down in uh, Baja, California, right? Very, it's a very cool story, you know, hearing this, this back end, you know, because you see a person's name in print and headlines, and, you know, obviously you and I have known each other for a while. You know, you've done some, you know, writing for, for my site as well, and I mean, for Cards Chat, and just sort of hear that all of this was going on in the background and to, you know, you kind of roll with the punches in life. I mean, that that's not an easy thing to do, and, you know, especially during a pandemic, but uh, it's definitely cool to to, you know, peer behind the, you know, the, the, what's that word? Um, oh man, I lost my train of thought. It's the, the peek behind the, the curtain, behind the scenes. Yeah, beyond the curtain. That's the word. Beyond the curtain. Very interesting. And I uh, just a uh, a little nugget you dropped there. How appropriate, you know, someone who wrote a girl's guide to poker. Your birthday is March eighth, uh, which is International Women's Day. <laughs> so that's a, a pretty cool little nugget there. Um, just uh, let's do one more poker power question. Your work with them. What is your goal? I and mean, obviously, you know, they as an organization have some stated goals. You can find it on their website, um, <clears throat> pokerpower.com. Join, uh, join Poker Power, right? I believe is their... Uh, yes. Uh, you can also do pokerpower.com, I believe. Their oh, right, Twitter is right. join Poker Power. Right. Um, what is your goal as an instructor uh, for your students as well as for yourself? Because you know, it does take, you know, you've got a lot going on, so it does take your time. So what are you hoping to accomplish and achieve as an instructor and also sort of for yourself uh, in this role? Absolutely. So when I first started teaching for Poker Power, 
we were teaching high schoolers and they were crazy. You know, they were like going all in all the time. They were trying to bluff each other. And at first I was like, what are we doing? You know, we're teaching these 15 year old kids, just this horrible gambling. And then I thought 15 year old boys are doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? They're going all in. They're trying to bluff their friends. They're not playing perfect poker strategy. Right. And then when I started teaching women who were 45 instead of 15, I would start to get questions like a woman actually, you know, who was an executive at Neiman Marcus. She asked me, why would I ever bluff? Hmm. You know, and I started to get questions like, like I would say to win, you have to win. And then they would be like, that wouldn't land. And they weren't something had happened between 15 and 45 where they had lost that spark. And that's what I want to do with poker power, you know, is put women in the driver's seat again and to feel the rush of having the big win of not, you know, whatever happened in life that got them to be more conservative because we teach corporate women now. So they're women that kind of do things by the book as a, right. for the most part, right. They do things the right way. Uh, especially, you know, we teach so many women in finance and it's, you know, very structured. And so that's my goal is to get them back to that space where the world is your oyster. And when I say female empowerment, I don't take it lightly. I remember when I was 23 and I was at a pivotal point in my life, starting my career and having a bunch of chips and going all in felt big and it felt powerful. And it felt like whatever else was going on in my life, I had a say in it and I got to take control. And so for me, that's what I want for women to experience is that being in the driver's seat, putting the foot on the gas and going for the win. I got to say, and I've enjoyed hearing all of your answers. I've enjoyed your storytelling and your origin story, but man, if there's like any sort of like a little highlight clip, it's got to be that answer. That was just, wow. You really had me. That was Phenomenal answer. I'm sure that's the type of, uh, I don't know, the, that, that voice really resonates far. And again, not just with women, I think. I think, uh, yes. you know, men can really take that to heart as well, you know, whether for your own play or for women that you know, hey, maybe she should get into the game and, you know, look into po- poker power and see what the instructors can empower them with, instructors like yourself. Uh, I've got one last question before we move into the questions from our forum members. Uh, here at Cards Chat. Um, how about goals, you know, whether, you know, away from the felt in poker or at the felt as a poker player, uh, you know, what sort of uh, next on the horizon that you kind of want to take off your to-do list and, uh, and your, uh, you know, your achievements list uh, in, in this industry? That's a very good question. That's why um, we for last. Thank you. Right. Yes. Um, you know what? That one should be easier. That one stumps me in terms of the poker achievements. Um, for, you know, it's funny. I feel like our tag team win was amazing. And I'm almost scared to play the tag team again because, you know, we could just be out day one. And my dad's oh. like, we got to get the bracelet. You know, my, my dad's like, this is our opportunity to win it. Uh, I actually have never uh, played the ladies event at the World Series of Poker. Okay. So I'd like to do that. And who knows, even though I had my, 
have my uh, reservations about the main event, it would be absolutely amazing to run deep and to cash in it and um, try that. What I'm most passionate about in poker and last thing on poker again is live reads and the articles that I kind of have cooking are more on, you know, when someone says something about, you know, their son going to law school, at the poker table, what that means for how they play a hand. So that's what uh, I'm getting really into and exploring the psychology behind it. And then in my own personal life, you know, it's, I'm about six or seven months in into starting this uh, service for helping people write books from start to finish. And I feel like it's going to the moon. So, you know, it's like people have just, it's working and you can see it. And I had one woman, she was actually an early client of mine. So I was very nervous. So I wanted to, you know, make sure I did a good job. And she had volunteered at animal sanctuaries throughout South America, wanted to write about that. Uh, But she wasn't the most academic and she didn't have the most writing experience. She actually uh, worked as a welder, which there's not a lot of female welders, right? (laughs) So she worked as a welder and when she was, you know, kind of tough, you know, like going Bolivia and Argentina and like, you know, taking care of animals. Sure. And so she wanted to write about that. And she was a little bit more basic in the way, you know, she'd speak and write again. She was, wasn't most academic, but she had this story she wanted to tell. And I remember getting an email from her. Like I had to reschedule a session saying, by the way, I'm really enjoying this process. Oh, nice. Wonderful. And to have her every week doing her homework, doing her writing, and then looking so forward to yeah. when we're going to do our collaborative editing and writing and making it sound elevated with the language and do all that, but still sound like her. That's for me, that says that we're onto something here. So if someone out there is listening and has a book that they really just finally want to get done, uh, how would they, uh, how would they reach you and, and, you know, get your services? Sure. I have an email form on my website, finally get your book done.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, send me an email, say what your book idea is. We'll schedule a phone call, 30 minutes, talk out your idea. You'll get in the zone, you'll get excited and we'll see if it's a good fit. Uh, if you have that dream of writing a book, then it can be extremely satisfying. Excellent. And who knows where it'll take you. Just like, look at, here we are now on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is now, uh, we'll turn over to the segment of the show where we go to our Cards Chat community, see what questions you guys wanted to ask our guests. We do have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. We've got four question askers uh, today. Chica Bonita wants to know, Amanda, do you still play poker with your father, whether in a home game or online that's a great question. We play all the time. Sometimes I go to Hollywood Park and there's this woman that's there all the time. She goes, where's your dad? So <laughs> we play all the time together. I am. I try to drag him out to tournaments. Uh, it's funny. Now it, it's not fun for him unless he gets to play with me. Aww. So uh, yeah, he doesn't play on his own um, that much, but uh, we will absolutely father-daughter play together. Great question. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Great question. Chica Bonita. She's got another one for you. Um, is there a specific country, city, or other place where you would like to see poker developed further? Honestly, the United States. I think that there's 
So like when you look at, so in my poker book, there was an area that got cut, which was a history of first, I want to do a history of poker, but you can't really do that unless you do a history of gambling. Right. And you can't really do that unless you start with monkeys, you know, who played double one up you'd be like, it was literally from the <laughs> beginning of time, you know, and I'm like all the way up and, you know, in different references, um, in, uh, Bible Torah text as well. Like I, you know, I went to the bottom of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. All the way up to the present. And what was consistent is that card games in America had a unique appeal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's an accent that it's called Texas Hold'em. And you look at the, you know, George Washington kept a card playing log every two weeks. Mm-hmm. His biggest win was at Annapolis for 14 pounds. <laughs> and Thomas Jefferson, while he was writing the declaration of independence, would actually take gambling breaks and the, and the state of Pennsylvania, which is like one of the most, you know, was liberal States has a reputation, right. Was given over to repay gambling debt. There's so much in, I think American spirit, enthusiasm, energy. And when we lost online poker, mm. I think we lost a piece of ourselves. Mm. And I think that, the American spirit and the American dream and that Chris moneymaker, you know, countryman Cinderella story. It's no accident that it happened here. Yeah. And I think that's part of our identity. And I think when we do things like ban online poker and in California, one of the reasons why poker is so tough and the card rooms are so tough is because you can't have slot machines. So it just becomes a card room or as opposed to like this, atmosphere where people are able to gamble and explore. And there's such this connection between, I think, gambling and business and entrepreneurship. It's all related. How are you going to use your capital? How are you going to work with your money? Um, So I think it may sound uh, cheesy or cliche or, you know, like I'm really stretching it here, but I think that the American dream is absolutely tied to the poker dream and we need to go all in here at home. So, I mean, I live in Israel now, but I am a dual American, U.S., uh, you know, and Israeli citizen. And damn, your answer makes me go, yeah, yeah, America. <laughs> Very much so, so. Great answer. Thank you, Chica Bonita, for that question. Special uh, emphasis in New York. I think there needs to be casinos in New York. And that's where we, uh, you know, so many of our people came through Ellis Island. But that's, there you there go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Shells has a question for you. Amanda wants to know, what do you like to do most in your spare time? This might make people laugh. Um, I am an avid astrology enthusiast. And uh, my own personal YouTube channel has 996 subscribers. I'm not going to reveal it because it's going to screw up my demographics. Um, <laughs> but, you know, because uh, if you have poker people, it'll confuse the YouTube algorithm. But okay. um, uh, I absolutely, that's my favorite thing. And, you know, when I first met my husband, I asked him what's his birthday and he said November 8th. And I said, right answer. So mm-hmm. I, I enjoy doing uh, particularly compatibility readings and it gets into what makes people tick. Uh, which relates, relates to poker. Interesting. Well, I can't say I'm into it, but I'm November 3rd, so I'm also a fellow Scorpio. Right answer. Right there answer. <laughs> okay. Um, Burn FX always asks some creative questions, though. Uh, wants to know, 
Amanda, if you could immediately solve any unsolved mysteries in history, what mystery would you choose and why? My goodness, that's quite the question. Yeah, right? <laughs> Let me think about this. We'll give you I a could time solve... if take, take a moment. Yeah, I might need a moment here. I could solve any mysteries in history. <laughs> try not to get too political. So let me let me try to like <laughs> <laughs> that's keep fair. it um a little bit more. Yeah. So I was doing a project back in this is all I'll keep this nice, but back when I was working for more politically um aligned organizations, I did do a project, times in history where one vote made a difference. Hmm. And this was times where in American history where it was positive change or it was um, very significant change, like big, big moments, like the Fair Housing Act, which, you know, guaranteed housing rights to, um, you know, minorities and people of all backgrounds the Senate majority leader had to go, sorry, minority leader had to go against his own party, mm. which is unheard of in today's climate. And the draft, which for better or worse, was pivotal, passed by one vote, one vote. And so what I would like to know in the mysteries of history, what are the things that were, that didn't happen mm-hmm. as a result of one to five votes? Wow. What are the times in history where if someone had made a decision, hmm. it would have butterfly affected and changed the outcome. You know, you, you obviously paused, uh, you know, took a pregnant pause there for, you know, to, before answering that question. What a phenomenal answer. Wow. Great. Great question. Acid burn FX and excellent answer. Now you got me curious also. I'm wondering, you know, like what? Yeah, because like, you know, and it was a hard project because there's not like some list that have to research times right. where it did make a difference. But yeah, you wonder about what are the times that we were this close? Yeah. My what are the times that, you know, some, because that, you know, I did the project because we were losing a vote for the organization I was working for and we were like eight <laughs> Congress members away, but it's like, right. but even then, what if we had gotten those eight representatives? How right. would that change the landscape of even for sure. 2022? For sure. Uh, one more from Acid Burn FX. Amanda, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Ooh. If I could have one superpower, what would it be and why? I'd like to be able to teleport. And the reason why is right now my husband and I are in a very long green card process. Mm. There's a huge COVID backlog and we're long distance married. So I'm going back and forth between right here in Ireland or yeah, sometimes here in London and Mexico and all these, you know, we've traveled the world to do everything we can to stay together. Wow. And you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you know, this is midnight my time, but I stay up at this time because it's 8 a.m. his. Right. And so if I could teleport and be, you know, in two places at once or even just whatever place he's at, that would be my superpower. 
That's sweet. Well, we'll only do a couple more because I'm sure you would want to say good morning to him before you go to sleep. So we'll just get to Crystal's in here. Crystal's wants to know, um, did you do anything different or specific before preparing for the final table of the tag team event with your dad? Tremendous question. Great question. So it happens. It's, you know, the World Series poker, they, like for the main event, they used to have the main event and then they have the November 9, um, several months later. So people could prepare a lot. Right. Uh, for us, it, right leading, it wasn't quite between day and two, day and three, but leading up into the tag team. I like my dad and I, we got behind the computer. I was like, these are the new school strategies. I was like, dad, you can bet smaller, you know, and you can do this. Right. And so we did, we did do like a father daughter study session. Awesome. So we did repair. And I remember him saying at the final table, because at one point he was playing for us and he got very unlucky. Ace is to ace queen. And he said, if I hadn't bet small, like you told me to, or like we went over together, um, we would have lost our stack. Right. So he was like, so we did study, we did do preparation together. Um, and then literally leading into it. So I just published an article talking about um, like a WSOP countdown. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned is get Twitter rolling, you know, yeah. cause that was the night before we were all over Twitter and, you know, I had a, a Twitter account. My dad did not. And you, in case you do have a sun run, you want that up in case people say things about like the chips or the rooms or like there are all these controversies about lammers this year. You want to be following accounts on poker Twitter. You want the algorithm to know. And uh, the guy, I forget his name, but who, you know, was a fan favorite for the main event last year because of his dirty diaper hand. I think it was Rigby, uh, right? Yeah, Nicholas Rigby. Right. Nick, yeah, Nick Rigby. He didn't have a Twitter account. And everyone was talking about him Uh and he made one like, and he's busy playing the main event, like at the very end of it. And he only got like, you know, 200 followers. Whereas if he had that up and rolling, yeah, he would have been able to use the platform to have the sweat, to have the fans in it. So the night before, between the final table and day two, we were all over Twitter. So (laughs) my advice is um, have that running like a a well-oiled machine. Awesome. And what is uh, your dad's Twitter for those who want to follow? Yeah, he's got like five followers. Follow him. Uh, <laughs> his Twitter is D Botfeld. It's spelled the same as my last name. D is in David and then B-O-T-F-E-L-D. He doesn't even have a profile picture. He needs <laughs> followers. And, you know, you like a tweet. I'm sure he'll get a notification. So oh, absolutely. Uh, that's how we prepare for the WSOP as we tweeted. <laughs> I love it. That's great. And you got, got all this talk. It makes me really want to meet your dad as well. Um, two more from, uh, from crystals. Um, and I'm curious as well, what initially drew you, uh, Amanda to write articles for cards, Chad, the people, you know, I was, I was a uh, between publishers, right. With my book. And the reason why I went with D and B with Dan and Byron is I really felt a connection and heard and all these different things like for my book, because it's printed in full color and has illustrations. Mm -hmm. I really, or has photos. I resisted that Mm -hmm. because I said, I don't want this to be a book of sexy girls holding cards. Mm -hmm. 
And they worked with me and we came to the conclusion that they actually let me work with the graphic designer and put together a stock photo library. So it was like by women for women actually took longer to find photos for the book than to write it. Wow. Uh, Cause every page it had to be like that curated. And we would go through like a friend, I like hours to find the pay, the illustration or the photo for each paragraph. Hmm. And it was through Dan that I got connected to you and I got connected, um, to Dan from uh, Cards Chat. And it was really, you know, poker gets a bad reputation because there are, you know, some sleazy people. And I'm sure we can all read the news, uh, you know, but uh, especially on the writing side, I've, uh, you being one of them, Robbie, I've met some really genuine people, some really amazing people. So what drew me to it is, uh, you know, good old fashioned networking. It's like, mm. you want to work with that person. You want to shake their hand. So, uh, that's what drew me to writing. And of course it was a natural fit because of my writing background. There you go. Cool. Well, and thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Um, yes. last one, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, crystals wants to know with all of the attention that women in poker are getting right now, yes. what do you think the lay of the landscape will be in three to five years in that regard? I'm so glad she says three to five years. Cause it was before, like when you were talking about the beginning of that question, I was about to say like, this is too soon to tell we're planting seeds right now. I think, and it's then he, the, by the way, I think uh, crystals is a he, I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. C-R-S-T-A-L-S is crystal. Oh, I thought, okay. Gotcha. Um, I think that's a really insightful comment because I look at, you know, especially what we're doing with organizations like Poker Power and Planetrum involved in all these places, women are learning, but they're not there yet in terms of being at the casino. And you think about, you know, all the before Black Friday, there was a long time where guys were sitting behind a computer practicing before they ever played live. And, you know, we might need a few big breaks. We might need a woman, you know, at the final table or some new faces, and we might need some more representation and things like that to happen. But I think the future is definitely bright uh, in terms of women in poker. I actually worry more about uh, men in poker and just getting new people in the game at all. Because mm. I think that men tend to have more uh, emphasis on competition mm-hmm. and poker is getting more competitive and the barrier to entry is getting higher and higher and higher. Yeah. And I think a lot of the women that I see in my classes that are entering poker, that's not really on their radar. But a lot of the guys I talk to, like they want to know if they can win. Mm. And it's, you know, so I think that things are moving in the right direction. Sometimes it's one step, oh, it's two steps forward and one step back. Not everything is positive, but I think it's really, really interesting what's happening in the space. And I think it'll take three to five years to mm-hmm. what's happened between 2020 and 2022. I don't think we really know yet. And I don't think it's really come to fruition, particularly in terms of women in poker. I think what's happening right now, we won't see the results of for a few years. Nice. Well, it's an exciting time to be uh, a part of the industry. And this has just been 
uh, a lovely conversation. I want to thank everyone who sent in everyone's for Amanda Botfeld. And just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes. Spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Amanda, before we let you go and, uh, you know, ring David up in the morning, uh, anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Anything else I would like to share? Uh, you know, I think about who I was at 23 when I didn't even know how to hold my cards right. Hmm. You know, and people at the poker table were rightfully saying you play that hand terribly. And I was making those flashcards and I was studying in the game. And, you know, I felt like, like I said, like this little girl. And now I'm 29 and I feel like she would be proud. And I feel like, uh, thank you to the Cards Check community for making this an actual community and an effort. And again, when we talk about more women in the game, I think it starts with social and it ends with community. I love it. Amanda, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.